I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, May 16th, 2021, and this is episode 120 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. Today's episode is sponsored by Lone Wolf by Diana Palmer, Kate Pierce, and Rebecca Zanetti. This anthology features stories from three best-selling authors, each one featuring a loner hero, his wolf sidekick, and a heroine in danger who turns to him for help. Filled with sizzling tension and well-drawn characters, animal and human alike, this anthology is sure to resonate with readers looking to answer the call of the wild. So check out Colorado Cowboy by Diana Palmer, The Lone Wolf on Her Doorstep by Kate Pierce, and Rescue Cowboy Style by Rebecca Zanetti, all in the anthology Lone Wolf, available wherever books are sold and at kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing is this video that I posted on my stories, um, my Instagram stories, of these three girls dancing to this New Orleans, I don't know what you would call it, it's New Orleans style music. It was really invigorating. I saw it originally posted on um, the website of a woman I went to Howard with, who was a producer on the documentary In Our Mother's Gardens, which is something that I really want to watch. I haven't had a chance to sit down and look at it yet, but... Um, I found the original. It's by these three sisters who dance, and I will link to it in the show notes. Their names are Nora, Yara, and Rosa, and they have all of these videos of dancing, and they just have so much energy and life, and like their expressions are really great, and the dancing is really great, and it's so much fun, and it lifted my spirits and made me happy this week, so I will share it with you. Writing update. Well, before I get to my writing update, I have uh, something that affected my writing update, which was another of this week's best things, kind of, but didn't make the cut because uh, of these side effects, which is my second COVID vaccine. And I had, I got it Friday morning. I booked off, I, I blocked off the rest of the day in case I was feeling bad. I was hoping not to feel bad. And uh, I was fine for a few hours. And then I started getting tired. And then I got really tired and crashed. And um, so, yeah, I did have about 30 hours of side effects. And I had worked out on Wednesday. So at first I was like, why are my legs so sore? I mean, I squatted, but it wasn't that much. And on Saturday, I could barely stand up to like take the dogs out, you know, to let them out. I didn't actually walk them because that was asking way too much. So I had the chills, headache, muscle soreness. I, I, instead of feeling like a, a grown man punched me in the arm, it felt like a grown man hit me in the arm with a baseball bat. But... Um, by like 7 p.m. the next day, it was like a, a switch turned off. I was like, I feel a lot better. And then the improvements just kept going so that this morning when I woke up, I felt like 95% normal. I have like a lingering headache. But so yeah, second dose. Um, Good thing that I'm, I will be fully vaccinated in two weeks. Side effects are, were not fun, let's say. But so that meant that Friday I didn't get any writing done, but I didn't really plan to. I also did not get any writing done on Thursday because I started. I did actually, I wrote 1700 words and uh, I was, I was fast drafting a new scene, a brand new scene. So I'm working on Savage City, the paranormal romance that I will be self-publishing. And like I, you know, if you have been following along, the story has been in my head for five or six years. So all of the the older scenes, the scenes that I've kind of conceived of before or written before, I've done a couple drafts of this book, are easy to write. This is a, a newer scene. And it actually, 
since we're we're just past the midpoint, it is a scene I've written before at least once, but I changed, you know, when I when I this version is very different from the previous version. So whatever changes are, my motivations are different, the way the characters are arriving at their decisions is a little bit different. And I was struggling with this scene. And I wrote 1700 words and you know, a lot of times the fast drafts feel terrible, but you keep going, you push through. But I was at the midpoint, just after the midpoint, and that's a whole different story. Like the rules, normal rules cease to apply. So I was like, hmm, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to pause. Uh, this scene is trash. And it's not just trash because it's a regular first draft. It's actually trash. You have to like figure out when it just feels bad. And sometimes you can't even figure that out. Like that's, that's kind of unfair to say because I don't always know. Like sometimes scenes feel, feel like trash and I can write them and finish them. And sometimes they feel like trash and I cannot write them and finish them. And that's when, and especially when that happens at the middle of the book, that's when I feel like it's time to take a break. So I printed out everything that I had written so far. And while I was stuck on the couch all day yesterday, I reread everything and made notes. And so I think I just, and I think I've said this before, but I have a terrible memory. <laughs> but I try to create systems and processes, and maybe I should write the system down as opposed to just rely on my memory to know it, that at the midpoint, you're going to have a problem. It's going to feel crazy. You're going to hate everything, including yourself and your ability to write, and you need to stop and reread everything. Because when I reread everything, I was like, oh, this is good. I like this. I mean, I see a bunch of things that need to be fixed, but it's really good. All the way up until the actual midpoint scene. So I didn't print out the 1700 words that I had tried to write. So that kind of gets me back on track. It's like a reality check uh, that it's not terrible. I'm not a bad writer. It's not a bad book. I didn't make a huge mistake in spending the past few weeks on this and, and carving out time for this book. So I think it'll be fine. It's just I needed to take a few days, reread, rethink. Sometimes you need to replot the second half. I don't think there's anything wrong in the plot. I think that it was just it was just time. It was just time for a break. It just you have to build that into your schedule. Or at least I do. So I'm ready to get back to it on Monday after having this nice little respite. And I'm trying to figure out if I should just go forward, plan, replan the scene, like actually plan it in detail, figure out what the problem was. Or should I go back and, you know, fix the stuff that I identified in my read through? And I think I just need to get pushed forward because even though this is technically not a fast draft, I haven't gotten to the end yet. And there's still some time for discovery. So I could go back and make some tweaks. There are a few, there's a plot hole, a big plot hole that I discovered that was just in like the last chapter that I had written. So I have to kind of re redo that. There were a couple of opportunities for backstory that I was like, oh, this would really be nice here. I think it's time to to bring in that information in, in this spot. And so it's going to take some more words on the page as opposed to just typos and rewording things that are awkward or confusing. But as I get to the end, I might discover other things that I should have seeded in the beginning. So to keep the process streamlined, I think that it makes more sense to write to the end and then come back and do a whole other pass once I have everything together. I can change everything at the same time. Uh, so yeah, I think that's what I'll do. So tomorrow, replot the scene, get back on track, and keep writing. Another contributing factor in my pause on Thursday was that I knew I wasn't meeting with Inez, my uh, writing partner, who we meet uh, on Google Hangouts, uh, Google Meet now every morning. 
And, you know, she had something to do Thursday, Friday, I was getting my shot, and I, we weren't meeting those two days. And it becomes really easy to be like, oh, I'll just stay in bed longer. I don't have anyone to meet, which is why I meet with her every morning, because I have no self-control and discipline on my own. I used it up years ago, apparently. Uh, but I hate feeling like I have a crutch, like, unless she's there at 8 a.m. And I, I'll feel guilty if I don't meet her, or if I'm terribly late, then uh I'm not going to do my work. I, I hate crutches. I hate I hate rituals like that. You know, I do have a sort of ritual. I, I generally need tea to write. And when I'm fast drafting, I need either my Alpha Smart or my Free Write Traveler. Like I need my little special machine. I mean, I can fast draft on a regular computer, but I just don't like things that that if they're not there then I can't do my work. Like some writers have elaborate rituals and crystals and, you know, knickknacks and bric-a-brac and things that they have to have. So what happens if they lose those things? Can they not write? Like, I don't want to have to be beholden to anything. Uh, and that's kind of just my personality. Like I never drank and never did drugs. I never wanted to feel like I had to do that to in order to loosen up or have fun or whatever. And that's just kind of going into this. So when I'm feeling like I have some kind of crutch that unless I have that thing, it I'm not able to perform at the same level or do the things I want to do. It makes me nervous. So I need to prove to myself the next time this happens, the next time my friend has to cancel that I can still get my butt in the chair at eight o'clock and be writing whether she's there or not. That's really important to me. In other publishing news, I did get the um, the novellas published and on the retailers. It was a week-long endeavor, at least for Amazon. So um, Echoes of Ash and Tears, which is the third Earth Singer novella, which was in the anthology, I'm publishing it on its own as an ebook. And then the collection of the three novellas, including the extra short story, is print and uh, ebook. And so as I was publishing these two books, on just the retailers that I go to, which is Amazon uh, and Draft to Digital, and then I go direct to Google Play, and then I put it on PayHip so that you can buy it from me directly. Like those are four places. It took me like three hours. <laughs> I don't know why. And my friend was like, "I publish a book every month, and I don't understand why it took you so long." And and I mean, part of it is that I have to double check everything like two or three times, just so I because it's publishing a book on a retailer, and so I, I look through and I and there's all these different screens you have to go through on the different places and. It just took me a while. And then the internet was kind of slow. It was uploading. And I was like, this is why I don't go direct everywhere. And then since it, Echoes of Ash and Tears had been in the anthology, Amazon has these automatic checks. So if it finds the book somewhere else, it makes you prove that you that you own it, you have the copyright. And I ended up having to prove it twice. I sent in, we had this contract for the anthology. And, you know, Wednesday, they were like rejected. And then I had to do it again. And finally, I think by Friday, it was up. As of the time of recording, the ebook and the paperback on Amazon are not linked. So that's a thing. But Amazon apparently is having its own huge issue where people's books are disappearing. I've barely paid attention to that. But um, yeah, so they're having some problems of their own. So I'll, I'll try to email them later on and make sure the books are connected. And so the three hours was not just uploading. It was uploading. It was updating my website um, with the books and the buy links and updating my publication database with the buy links. And it was a whole thing, a whole process. So y'all who publish very frequently, you know, hats off to you. I It's a pain in the butt. 
but it is done and it is ready. And I posted about the read along. I posted the schedule. So I will link to that if you are interested in my Earthslinger Chronicles read along, all six entries up to now that are available in preparation for the release of Requiem of Silence on August 17th. And as I work on writing Savage City for self-publishing, I'm thinking about doing a long pre-order. I'm thinking about actually putting it up for pre-order in the next couple of weeks. I won't have a cover until probably September, October. And like I said, I'm trying to release it in January. So my thinking is I should wait until I finish this first draft. Um, I've booked my editor for July, but once I get to the end comfortably, then I'll know that that um, this is a real book that can be published sometime soon. And, you know, because I want to do the audiobook at the same time, which is why it's January instead of like October, the book has to be done, edited, proofread in October so that I'll have the extra three months for either selling the audiobook rights or doing the audiobook myself. But as I've been learning more about long pre-orders, that's actually a good opportunity because um, I can submit it to some of the retailers for pre-order promotions, and they require several months. I can submit it to um, Book Life and try to get a, a Publishers Weekly review, and that takes a while. Um, so the way that you, as an independent author, can get a, a review in Publishers Weekly is through this website, Book Life, and then they can choose you if they want to. So that's how I got when I was self-published the the review for um, Song of Blood and Stone. And there's other places I'm sure that I could submit the books for review, um, given that long lead time. So as opposed to like most self-publishing, like it's done, put it out there, let's get it out. Um, Which I I appreciate too, like having to sit on something that's done (laughs) for a long time is, uh, takes patience. And with traditional publishing, a very large amount of patience. Um, and then I do want to make sure that when book one releases, I've got a pre-order for book two, and that's a whole other journey that we're not getting into because I've planned this as a trilogy at first, and I have the ideas for the first three books, but the question of schedule is still up in the air. When will I be able to write the second book? Uh, it really depends on a lot of factors that are outside of my control. And and the other thing is, if I do carve out a few months this year that I can write book two, is that going to be enough? I've been getting faster, but I can't plan on being able to write a book as fast as I've been writing this one. This one is, I'm halfway done, four weeks in. So two months to write a clean version that can be edited is like bananas for me, like a full length, 70 to 80,000 word novel. It's literally the fastest I've ever done it. But book one has been in my head for years. Book two not so much. Book two is actually pretty new. Book three, what I've planned for book three, has been a kernel in my mind. And it was originally going to be the sequel. And then I decided to do the trilogy. So I slipped in something new. So yeah, it's an open question as to whether I will be able to write the second book as quickly as I'm writing this one. I've had a lot of practice writing fast uh, with my traditional published deadlines. And that's why I think that I've been like honing these skills and and, and getting my process together and um, figuring out what works. You know, it, it used to be that at the midpoint, I would have to take a week or, or, or longer to figure things out. And I would have no idea and have to replot everything. And so that could still happen again. Like I have to, 
I can't commit myself to being able to write another clean book in under three months. And that might be the, the, the sliver of time I have for book two this year. Otherwise, I'd have to wait until next year to do it because of the other like contractual things, obligations that I have. So um, there's so much unknown and there's so much, like I said, out of my control when people are going to get back to me with things. When are my edits going to come back? When is, you know, feedback on this other project? It's kind of just out there and waiting on. So yeah, it's just I have to be flexible and also rigid, like flexible with my my schedule, but also knowing that, okay, if three things come back at the same time, I will drive myself crazy trying to do that. So trying to either pu- having to push back on other people and carve out the time that I need for each thing and then and, and advocating, that is going to be really important uh, for the rest of this year. So speaking of fast writing, I noticed that the author Daniel Jose Older on Instagram via TikTok is doing like daily progress. So he is writing a book in a month and um, updating every day, which is very cool. Because <laughs> in the first day he was like, yeah, I've got a book due in a month and I haven't started writing it yet. So let's go. Now he is a full-time author, apparently, uh, or at least it seems to be he's working on this book full-time. I think he teaches too, but um, so he's getting about 4,000 words a day which is good. I think it sounds like they're clean words. He's going to be turning this into an editor at the end of the month. And I've been following along and, and just cheering him on silently because <laughs> I think that's a, an amazing thing. Uh, I think that's a, a good, decent pace if you are a full-time author. Like That makes a lot of sense. I'm doing two to, thri- two to 3,000 words a day as a part-time author. And so I'm sure if I had full-time, I could get four to 5,000 words a day. I wonder if I could before I crashed, like, you know, I ended about 11, between 11 and 12 every day and sometimes a little earlier because I know I have other things to do and I do have to use that creative energy in my regular job making websites. So if I had the whole day, would I use the whole day is the question. But if you're interested in following his progress, I will link his Instagram on the show notes. I also read this really interesting article on the publishing industry. It's by Elle Griffin, and it's on her Substack site. Um, and she is a journalist and a writer. And she did this deep dive, which is very long, but I think it's very worthwhile to read it. And this is just a quote that hit me that uh, is from the, this her article. And this is actually a quote from another person. So. One of the biggest ironies about this business is that there are lots of people who want to become authors, but that doesn't necessarily equate with the number of people who are voracious readers, says Rachel Deal, news director at Publishers Weekly. There's a disconnect. Not enough people read enough books. That's just the beginning of uh, this article, which is entitled, No One Will Read Your Book and Other Truths About Publishing. It's from March 20th, and it's definitely worth a read. I don't know that I agree with everything, all of her conclusions and her sort of um, assumptions, but I did find it really interesting. I think her purpose was to try to figure out if she would go traditional or indie. And then at the end, she decides she's going to bring back cereals, which is always hilarious to me. Like, cereals have never gone anywhere. Like, people are doing cereals all the time. But she's going to do a cereal on Substack. And Substack is like a newsletter site. It's sort of a, a way that people can monetize their newsletter because you can have paid newsletters very easily. And a lot of authors were on Substack, and then they're leaving now because Substack was uh, apparently 
paying like conservative writers to have newsletters. They had some kind of program that I, I read about a few weeks ago. And so many liberal people were like, oh, we don't want to be on this this uh, platform that is supporting conservative writers. And so we're going to find something else. I don't know why that people don't just use like MailerLite or something like that. But if you want it to be like a blog, it ends up being a blog that is also a newsletter, which is something that MailerLite won't give you. So that's that's what that is. She also has a really cool article about um, serializing and authors making money with their writing via serials. It's called The One Where Writing Books Is Not Really a Good Idea. And she compares Substack and Vela, um, oh, Amazon Vela, the new serializing platform that Amazon is creating, and Patreon. And, you know, a lot of people, I mean, authors often need to find alternate sources of income other than just books. If you're a traditional, it is unlikely that, you know, even one one or two books a year is going to be able to be enough for a full-time income. If you're indie, becoming full-time is still very difficult. So being able to use a Patreon or something else to share your writing with your audience and make additional money is always a great idea. So uh, in film news, we saw the film Nobody, which my husband had actually seen before. And he was like, oh, Leslie, you actually like this because there's a certain type of violence that I like. And there's a certain type of violence that I don't like. And this was a type that I do like. It's a little, it can be super violent, but as long as it's a little cartoony and a little bit, um, cartoony is probably not the right word, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And nobody is the film with um, the guy from Better Call Saul, whose name escapes me at the moment, Odenton, Bob Odenton. And it's terrific. It's fantastic. It's got Bob Odenton. It's got the RZA. <laughs> it's got um, Doc Brown from, <laughs> why can't I think of nothing? <laughs> from um, Back to the Future, and it's fantastic. The day before, we had seen Wrath of Man with Jason uh, Statham, which is the other kind of violence, which takes itself more seriously, just as violent. Uh, but I do like Jason Statham a lot, and I enjoyed that film, not as much as Nobody. So it was like, we saw Nobody, we saw we saw Wrath of Man, and then my husband was like, oh no, you liked this, but I think you'll really like Nobody. So yeah, if you are into some violent. They're both kind of revenge, you know, in the vein of um, that Keanu Reeves movie. My brain is gone. To, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, there's no dogs being killed. I'll tell you that right now in either one. Uh, plenty of people being killed, though. So yes, those are both recommended if that's your thing. And then I saw the news, totally different, but still entertainment industry, but a totally different aspect of the entertainment industry. Sanditon is coming back. Uh, so that was the unfinished Jane Austen manuscript that they made into this TV show that I quit watching halfway through the first season because it was boring. And then my friend finished watching and she was like, oh, Leslie, don't watch the end because it's not an HEA. And I was like, it's not? It was the one that had it brought like a black main character into Jane Austen, uh, which was like a cool reason to watch it. But she didn't get an HEA. No, he didn't. The main girl didn't get an HEA. It was happily ever after. And uh, I was like, no, I don't have time in my life for this. And they're bringing it back for a second season. But the lead, Theo James, didn't understand the assignment. He is not coming back because he liked the fact that it didn't have an HEA. I was like, you don't get to decide the end of the movie that you're in. Like, that's not how acting works. So I guess they're going to move on with the main character and a new dude. <laughs> like... This is not what romance watchers and readers are like signed up for. I mean, a lot of Jane Austen fans are apparently very happy. And, you know, I'm glad that 
you know, people get more work for a second season, but I will not be tuning in and I will not be finishing the first season either. There's a thing about like promises to your audience and the promise to the audience for a Jane Austen story is a happily ever after. And if you do not give us that, I personally am just not interested in anything else that you're doing. So, And finally, the Q&A. Just a reminder, if you have a question for me, you can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com and ask, and I might answer your question on the podcast. So if you could only write one genre for the rest of your life, what would you pick? I think that it would have to be fantasy. I mean, I like writing paranormal romance, and fantasy is draining and exhausting, but I end up doing a lot of world building in my paranormal romance, and I have all these other ideas for fantasies that I'll never get enough time in my life to write. So like big scope, epic fantasies. If that was the only thing I could do, I, I would pick that. How different from your own personality do you let your characters get? I think it's really important for them not to all be like me and to try to push myself to write people who are very different, um, especially with a large cast of characters. I mean, you have to have the different interplays and um, personality clashes and just different ways of going about things. And it's it's hard to write like that. It is difficult, but it's necessary. And so, yeah, a lot of my time when I'm crafting different characters is for trying to figure out, okay, how does an extrovert act? Like, what what are the motivations of an extrovert? And how do I put that in? Or how does a charming person or how does um, how does someone who really wants to be a mother act? Or, you know, all of these people who are very much unlike me, I have to get into their heads and see the world through their eyes and... Um, and, and write that. And that's, that's part of the job. So yeah, I, I, I force myself to do things, write characters that are, that are completely different personalities for me. And I probably, I mean, it would be really helpful if I had some sort of background in psychology or an interest in psychology, which I don't have, but I have interest in personality and personality tests and Enneagrams and Myers-Briggs and all of that stuff. So I, I kind of, I use that to help me out and give me, um, shortcuts, I guess, as a, a, as a way to think about these different traits and, and characteristics in characters. And then two, about my husband. How did you meet your husband and has he read any of your work? We met on a site you may or may not remember called MySpace. Uh, it's so funny to meet on a defunct website, but I mean, it exists, right? Yeah. So he messaged me. Uh, we both lived in Maryland. I think we had like one connection in common. I don't know how he found me. And I had, I got messaged by several people. So I, I, as long as they weren't rude or like gross, then I would at least write them back and see what they had to say. So yeah, we met on MySpace and a couple of weeks later, we met in real life and our first date was in, uh, during a, a blizzard. I think it snowed like 14 inches that night. So that was an adventure. And he does not read fiction. So he hasn't really read any of my work. Like he'll say, he skimmed it and he understands the story. Like, it, in, I used to try to get him to give me feedback. And part of me is still jealous of the, all the authors whose husbands are their first readers and or the critique partners or whatever. Um, but my husband took a vow of ignorance after medical school. He had to read so much <laughs> that he decided he didn't want to read anymore. And I can understand that. Like, the, the amount of reading you do in medical school is obscene. So, and he's never really been a huge fiction reader. Like, He's read Michael Crichton. He does have people that he read in his youth, but um, fantasy is not his genre for reading. Like he reads comic books and graphic novels now, and Star Wars novels. 
um, that's really the only fiction he'll read. So we do the Star Wars novels on um, audiobook when we take road trips. But it's more peaceful in our relationship if he doesn't read my work. I found that out when I tried to get him to read stuff for me. And it didn't work out that well. And um, like Khalil Gibran said, there have to be spaces in your togetherness. <laughs> so that's the space in our togetherness. He's very supportive of my writing and my career and my dreams. And he shows it in many, many ways that do not include actually reading the books. And I'm grateful for that. <laughs> and I love him very dearly. Uh, so, and that is it for me for this week. I will talk to you next week. Um, my goals for this week are to write another 10,000 words in the manuscript at minimum and uh, plan for, I have to, to design the swag for the Requiem of Silence um, pre-order giveaway, which I should have done weeks ago. And I just fell off my list. I haven't been doing my planner because of reasons. <laughs> But uh, I still have my to-do lists. It's still there staring me in the face. And it's something that I'll have to get done this week. So yeah, that's it for me. And I will talk to you next week. I hope that you have a wonderful week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts. <laughs>